Well, today we're starting a new series in Mark. We're looking at some of the parables of Jesus. Mark's gospel moves really quickly. So we're going to be looking at chapter four, uh, the parable of the sower. But already in the first three chapters of Mark, we've got Jesus appearing, beginning to preach, doing loads of miracles, crowds gathering around him. They're astonished at his teaching, the authority. They're amazed at the miracles, but not all the reactions have been positive. So already by chapter three, some of the religious people, the teachers of the law, they're angry that Jesus is reaching out to those who are marginalized. He's eating with people who are beyond the pale, the drunkards, the uh, prostitutes, the tax collectors. And he's healing on the Sabbath and disrupting their services. And Jesus, we read in, in Mark 3, is deeply troubled by the hardness of their hearts. And it gets even worse because Jesus' mother and brothers think that he's kind of lost it and they come to try and kind of take him away because they're worried about his sanity. Imagine how hard that must have been for Jesus. But Jesus continues to preach. And in chapter four, he begins to tell a very famous parable. So let's go to Mark 4, verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some a hundred times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others like seed sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, 
and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. I think it's reassuring as ever to see that the disciples don't always get it. And I just wonder who was the brave person as they huddled around at the end of the day who said, mm, Jesus, I didn't really understand the parables. Can you explain them? And we're like that sometimes, aren't we? We, we don't understand God's word. It does raise the question, though, as Jesus begins to explain and he, he quotes from Isaiah about people hearing but not understanding, uh, seeing but not perceiving and not repenting and not being forgiven. Is Jesus saying that the parables are deliberately hard to understand so that people won't respond? No, I, I don't think that's what he's saying. Jesus tells the parables to grab people's attention but often he leaves parables kind of hanging and he lets people go away thinking about them. What does that mean and how does that apply to me? He doesn't hand it to them on a plate. And when Jesus refers back to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter six, he's actually referring back to a prophet who was called to preach to the people of Israel when they were in a stage where they were hard of heart. They were facing exile and judgment, yet they wouldn't respond to the word to repent, to come back to God. But that doesn't mean that God didn't want them to repent or that Jesus doesn't want everybody to respond to his words with faith and be forgiven. No, but there is a mystery there that although God wants us to hear and to receive his word, we also have choices to make and we can allow our hearts to be hard and our ears to be closed so that we don't hear the word of God. And that's what Jesus was finding. He had crowds of people around him, but some were receiving the word and others weren't. And that was the puzzle and the dilemma that they lived with. We know that actually it wasn't till after Jesus' death and resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit that even the disciples really had their eyes opened and could look back and see what Jesus and the kingdom really signified. But what does this parable mean for us today? Often this parable is used to encourage us to keep sharing our faith. To, to go out and tell our neighbours and friends about the good news of Jesus. And of course, that is a meaning that is there in this parable. We've just finished Alpha and people have come to faith and that's because maybe their friends invited them. Maybe they had to invite four or eight or 10 people before one person said, yeah, I'll give Alpha a go, I'll come along. And I know there are people in our church who go out faithfully into Lewisham and, and talk to people about the gospel. I'm guessing they often meet with people who've got hard hearts or people where the ground is shallow and they just don't want to listen. 
But now and again, there's that person who will engage with the word, has questions, and there's that possibility of a harvest from what is being sown. But today, I want to kind of home in on the condition of our hearts. You know, in this parable, we see it's all about the soil. The soil determines the harvest. And we want to have good soil in our hearts, don't we, so that we can be fruitful. So what does that mean? How, how do we develop ears to hear and hearts to receive the word of God? Jesus, I think, leaves this parable open to different interpretations because he talks about the word. The seed is the word. And he, it could be the gospel word, you know, coming and telling people, repent, the kingdom is at hand, put your faith in me. And many of us, we've experienced that where for years maybe, I know for myself, I was in church for years, raised in a, a Christian family, but Although I heard the gospel many times, my heart was hard. Maybe my heart was rocky. And it, but there was one day where suddenly I heard the word as almost for the first time. It penetrated my heart and it, I received the word and I put my faith in Jesus. So it could be that word of salvation. It could be the whole word, the Bible, the truth that is contained in here. Or it could be our response to Jesus, the word of God personified. How do our hearts respond to him relationally? Is he Lord of our lives? Is he saviour? Are we open to what he has to say to us? So let's just have a think about that. Yeah, are we hard-hearted? Are we rocky soil, shallow in how we respond? Or are we like that soil that is overcrowded with thorns? Remember what Jesus says, still others like seed sown among thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. You know, when autumn comes, one of my favorite desserts is apple and blackberry crumble. Anybody else like that? You know, it's very autumnal. We love blackberries, but you know, blackberries grow on thorny brambles. I remember when I was a kid, my granny had at the back of her garden, like a bit of overgrown land and it was full of brambles. It was great for the blackberries, but they were so overgrown. It didn't matter how much my dad would chop them down or try and dig them up. They would grow back again and they would choke everything else that tried to grow on that land. And Jesus is saying there are things in our heart that can choke out the word of God that comes to us. And he lists three things, worries, wealth, and wants. Worries, well, we all worry at some point, don't we? And fundamentally, worry starts as something good. You know, we're concerned about someone or something that we're responsible for. That's the, 
that's where it starts, a good intention. But so often we then go to the what ifs and the worst case scenario and it spirals round in our mind and a good intention, a good healthy responsibility turns to worry. And then it can turn into kind of worries, big brother anxiety that can just choke things out of our mind and our heart. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he speaks to that directly because worry and anxiety is common to everyone. And he says, you know, don't worry. Don't worry about tomorrow. Try and get a perspective. Look at the birds. Look at the flowers. Remember that my heavenly father loves you and cares for you and wants to provide for you. He reminds us we can't do anything to change things often. You know, we can't add even a millimeter to our height through worry, through thinking about it. And so Jesus challenges us, don't worry, don't worry. Otherwise it crowds out my word from your heart. Paul in Philippians 4 in that very famous verse says, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Let's be free of worry. Let's remember his word that will guard our hearts and minds. Let's get support and help if we need it. Let's find ways to be free of worry and anxiety. But what about the deceitfulness of wealth? What a loaded phrase that is. And so appropriate to our culture where, yes, so much is measured by what you have and what wealth you have. You know, there's been research done on people with different incomes going up to millionaires saying, how much money do you think you need to earn to feel secure and comfortable? And you know what? Everybody said they needed more. In fact, the average, even up to millionaires, was that people felt if I just had double my salary, then I would feel really secure. And that is a lie we buy into, don't we? I'm not saying here that it isn't wrong, it isn't right to want to be able to provide for your family, have enough money to cover your bills and, and want to have a good job and, you know, build a strong life. But so often it just gets into our heart, doesn't it? Yeah, we just work and work. We neglect other things because we, our ambition is driving us. We, we just want more. And Jesus is saying that deceitfulness, that lie will entangle your heart. It will grow up and it will choke out the word of God. Paul says to Timothy, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. You know, going for more, you can actually sometimes lose what you have. And the love of money 
is a root of all kinds of evil and some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Wherever you are on the pay scale, on the housing ladder, on the pecking order, don't let the deceitfulness of wealth dominate your heart or it will choke out the word, the word that comes and says, be generous. The word that comes that says, put others first, seek first the kingdom of God, think about the poor, instead of thinking about me and what I want to need. In fact, Jesus goes on to say that sometimes it's desire for all kinds of other things that chokes out the word of God from our lives. Yeah, my daughter just bought an air fryer you know, and immediately we had that conversation about, oh, how much did it cost? And what's it like? What have you cooked in it? And how much electricity do you think you'll, you'll save? Because there's something in us that wants something new, that wants more, that desires things. And often that's harmless, isn't it? There are things that are just neutral, even good. But there's something in our heart that can be captured by it. And all the algorithms on social media and shopping channels and, you know, those sites just draw us in, don't they? So if you buy just one thing from a site, suddenly the ads are popping up about, oh, another thing that will match that or add to that. And if nothing else, we can just end up wasting time scrolling on our phone instead of maybe talking to the person we love who's sitting right next to us because there's those things that seem so attractive. And if only we had them, we would feel happier and more fulfilled. And Jesus is saying, no, the desire for things can just swamp your heart. Sometimes it's good things, but sometimes it's more sinister things that can grow and be an addiction, that can literally choke the life of God out of our heart whether it's gambling or porn or addiction to other things. And God is calling us to give our heart to him, to open our heart wide to hear him and his word, not to be cluttered by all these things. And then there's the good soil, the good soil that, that is open to God, that can yield a fruitful harvest. You know, parables only have a certain amount of things that you can interpret because obviously in this story, the soil can't change itself. It's either hard or rocky or full of thorns or it's good. But actually, we know the Holy Spirit can work on our hearts and move us from one place to another so that we can have good soil. It's not fixed because God desires all of us to hear his word and receive it. You know, it talks about hearing the word, accepting it, producing a crop. In Luke 8, which is a parallel passage, it talks about hearing, retaining and persevering. It's like really taking it in. It's a bit like if someone gave you, you know, a lovely box of chocolates, you know, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to open it, you're going to unwrap it, you're going to taste it, you're going to choose your favourite chocolate, you're going to eat it, you're going to digest it, you're going to savour 
the flavour of that chocolate. And Jesus is saying the good soil takes in the word of God and digests it and, and enjoys it and, and, and kind of gets all the meaning out of it. But so often we either leave the box on the side or we take a quick taste and then it's all forgotten. James in chapter one, he, he, he talks about this, how we just can look at the word of God and then forget it. He says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. That's not going to happen, is it? You know, if you've got a little spot on your face, you're going to remember what you've seen in the mirror all day. It's nonsense to take in the word of God and not do it. James says we need to be like one who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in whatever they do. When we take in the word of God, we can be fruitful. We can bear a harvest. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to be fruitful people. And some of you do that. You take in the word of God and then you share it with others. You know, many of our groups have uh, WhatsApp groups for all the members and um, I know there's a lot of group leaders who will send out like a verse from the Bible or an encouraging word out to people on their WhatsApp group. And you can imagine, can't you, some people in the group, they're going to see that notification on their, on their phone and they're just, ah, oh, no, I'll look at that later. Not, not, not interested in that now. Others will look at it and they might even put a thumbs up emoji, but they haven't really taken it on board. Others will look at it and then another notification bops up and they're off on a rabbit trail and they've forgotten that verse. But some will open it up, will read it. You know, imagine if it was that verse from Philippians, don't be anxious about anything. And they'll think, yeah, I am anxious about what's happening at work later on today. So, oh God, let me, let me pray. Let me use these words to pray. And I say, Lord, you know I'm anxious, but you, you command me not to be anxious. So I just bring this situation to you. I, I thank you that I have a job. I thank you for the opportunities I have. But right now I need you to break into this situation. Lord, help me. Help me to stay calm. Help me to keep hearing your words that I'm loved, that I'm cared for, that you will provide for me. Lord, help me live out your word today. I'm going with you in my heart. I know you're going to guard my heart and mind, whatever comes across my path today. Amen, Lord. And that's what accepting the word means. It, you know, writing it out on a post-it and looking at it through the day, praying it back to God. There's nothing like that, verbalizing and praying the word of God back for it to really get into our heart. Some of you are good at memorizing the word of God. Yeah, let's soak it up. Let's take it into our lives and then it will bear so much fruit. 
But before we end, I want to go back to the very beginning of the parable. And I want us to look at the farmer. Jesus says the farmer is God who is sowing the seed. Now, normally farmers will only sow seed on good soil, the soil that they've ploughed and fertilised and invested in. But here, the farmer is sowing seeds on the path and in the rocks and among the thorns. I just think that shows us the generosity of our Father God. It's not his will that anyone should perish, should not have the opportunity to hear the word of God. And Jesus was like that as well, wasn't it? He went to everyone, he went to the crowds, he went to the marginalised, those on the edge, those that the, the religious leaders would have said, that's bad soil, don't go to them. Because his heart was that everybody should have the opportunity to know that God loves them, that God desires to have a relationship with them and forgive them. Jesus was willing to actually sow himself, to die himself, that, that anybody and everybody could have the opportunity to respond to him, the word of God, and know a fruitfulness in their heart that is eternal and without comparison. So today, just reflect for a moment. Do you have ears to hear the word of God? Our worries, our wealth, wants, desires, crowding out, choking out the word from your life. Is your heart good soil? Are you like the father, like the farmer, generously sharing the word of God with people around you? Because that's his desire for you today. Let's pray. Lord, we ask right now that you will come and work in our hearts. We know sometimes, despite our best intentions, we close our ears and our hearts to you. So God, now we just ask that your Holy Spirit, your grace will come to us and open our hearts that we will be good soil. We will bear fruit for the kingdom of God. We will know your blessing on our lives. Amen.